So as we continue on with our study this morning through the gospel of John, we pick up in this last evening of Jesus' life, this, this end of what we call his Passion Week. And Jesus has gathered together with his disciples in the upper room. And if you were here last week, you know that we walked through this reality that Jesus and the disciples are in their darkest hour here together, particularly in their lives together. Judas has left the company now. He's gone to, to be the betrayer that, that he is. Peter has learned in this evening that he too is not going to make it through this night without blemish, so to speak, right? He will deny that he even knows Christ three times. Jesus is going away, he says, and the disciples are trying to figure out where he is going. He's already told them that where I'm going physically, you can't come with me right now. That's not going to be possible for you to do that. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of angst in the company on this evening. There's a lot of confusion, I think, amongst the disciples. There's sadness there. And there's a lot of fear, I think, percolating in this room on this evening. Now Jesus' call to his disciples, I think, will be a call to you and to me as well. And that's a call, a call to be encouraged and a call to be courageous as well. To be men, women, young people who are courageous with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a time for us to press into our relationship with Christ, friends. Not only in our darkest hours, particularly we will tend to do that in our darkest hours, but listen, if we only learn how to, to press into Jesus, right, to go to Jesus, to, to flee or to fly to Jesus in our darkest hours, we're not going to be well practiced. We need to press into Jesus at all times. We need to be prepared at all times. And Jesus is calling us to be those kind of people. He's calling his disciples to be those kind of people, to be encouraged even in this dark hour, and to be courageous men as well. And so we'll talk about that this morning as we walk through this text. John chapter 14, starting a new chapter here this morning. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, so about halfway through this text, or this, this chapter, we'll, we'll make it here this morning. And so as we turn to the text, friends, again, I would just simply encourage us to remember that these events are real events that are happening in time and space. There was a time in human history when a God-man named Jesus was in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem with his disciples, and all these things took place, and all these words were shared. And these men were really feeling these emotions, and Jesus was really feeling these emotions as the incarnate Son of God. And so as we, as we read the text, remember the reality of what's taking place here in this, uh, in this narrative. We're in John chapter 14, so if you're new to your Bibles today, John's gospel is the last of four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're in the Gospel of John, and have been there for over a year, and will be there for some time, and we're in John chapter 14, and we're going to pick up at verse 1 this morning. So let's stand together, shall we? Let's honor God as we read from His Word today. John chapter 14, starting at verse 1, Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. 
Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him. You have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So, here we are in Jesus' last life, a night of his life as the incarnate Son of God. In the midst of betrayals here, friends, in the midst of what can only be described, I think, for, as agonies for Jesus, and now we're seeing it in the lives of the disciples as well, the agonies of these men in that upper room that night. Jesus now offers hope and consolation to his friends. Now, as we step into this picture, this narrative, the best we can, don't forget that these men have banked everything on Jesus. Everything. Right? They've given things up for Jesus. They've decided that He is the Savior of the world. They've decided that He is the Messiah. And they've decided that they're going to hang with Jesus in kind of our modern parlance, no matter what happens. They're confused, and their expectations are not being met. Right? Why is Jesus talking about leaving? Isn't he going to set up a kingdom? Why are these things not progressing the way we anticipated that these things were going to progress? But they're remaining with him. Right? But the betrayer is gone now. He's not coming back. He's, he's doing what he's supposed to do right now. But these 11 men are sticking with Jesus. Yes, Peter will deny him three times this evening. But he's coming back. He's part of this company. And he will remain with Jesus. It's Peter himself, remember, who earlier said to Jesus, when Jesus said, are you guys going to leave now too? Right? He said some really difficult things. We talked about this a little bit even last week. It's recorded in John chapter 6. It's Peter who's the one who says, where would we go? And I think we look at this as a statement of courage. And it probably is underneath everything, under the layers. But I think at face value, what we hear Peter saying is what some of us undoubtedly have said in our lives. Where else would I go? Right? I've poured everything into this now. I don't think Peter's saying, I understand everything you're saying about eating blood or drinking blood and eating flesh. I think I got that figured out, Jesus. I got no worries about that. I think what he's saying is, I don't know what you're saying. 
but I'm going to be there with you. I got no place else to go. Where else would I go? Maybe you've been there sometime in your life. I have. I got no place else to go. This is where I've banked everything. If there's another way to God, I've lost it, friends. I'll never find it. This is it for me. I've banked everything on Jesus, and I think it's the right decision. But I got nowhere else to go. I got no place else to turn in my life. And that's where I think we are sometimes, and I think that's where Peter is, and I think that's where the disciples are. Where would we go now? (laughs) Right? We believed you, and we're going to stick with you, but we're perplexed by you. And we got nowhere else to go. There's no place else we can go. And here they are now in the upper room saying, Jesus, you are the object of our faith. We got no place else to go. And you're telling us you're leaving. So what does that mean for us? What could that possibly mean for us? And so friends, I'll say this again. I've said this in this study and I will undoubtedly have to say it again in John's gospel. And that is this, Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. We've got nowhere else to turn. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. And to follow Jesus is to follow God the Father. And to believe in Jesus is to believe in God the Father. And so listen, if you're here today with me and you're saying, yep, that's me. I'm banking everything on Jesus. Can I make a suggestion to us all? Let's bank on the real Jesus. Let's not make one up. What a disaster that would be. Let's not make up a Jesus. Let's not make up a Jesus that will allow us to to imbibe in our lusts without caring about that. Let's not make up a Jesus, right, who has said, I'm one of many different ways to the Father. Let's not make that guy up. Let's not bank everything on a Jesus that doesn't exist, except in our own minds or maybe in the collective minds of of a smattering of people. Let's bank our eternity on the real Jesus, Not not even on a Jesus who just takes us with our limited desire to follow him and says, well, I'll take whatever you got. Because that's not the Jesus of Scripture, friends. The Jesus of Scripture said, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up a cross every single day and follow me. You have to die to yourself every single day. That's what it takes to follow me. It can't be half-hearted. You can't play games. It's me or nobody else. I am the way, he's saying to the disciples. He's saying that to you and to me today as well. Let's put our hope in the real Jesus. And how do we know the real Jesus? We know him revealed to us in Scripture. This is the real Jesus. The Gospels have told us about him. The Apostles have revealed him to us. The Old Testament spoke of him and pointed to him. This is where we find out about the Jesus, friends, that we follow. And this Jesus is making promises to his friends, isn't he? 
He's made other promises to them, but now he's making some promises to them. And promises, they're just words, right? Promises are made up of words, and words are cheap in our world. Anybody can promise anything. Anybody can say anything they want to say. They're just words. And so when Jesus makes a promise to his disciples, what does he do? He says, think about who I am and who you have been with for the last three years of your life. I'm telling you right now, I'm promising you that I'm leaving and you can't come with me right now. There's nothing you can do to change that. But I'm going someplace, I am going somewhere, and I'm going to set up a place for you. I'm preparing something for you. That's my promise to you. Now, those are just words. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And obviously, I'm putting words into the narrative here. Jesus says to them, if it were not so, would I tell you this? What is he asking them to do? He's asking them to think about their relationship with him and to say, did Jesus ever lie? Did he ever tell us one thing and deliver another thing? And all this time that we've known him, has he ever told us something that wasn't true? Did we ever say, we need bread, and he gave us a serpent? Did that ever happen in our lives? And if the answer to that is no, then Jesus says, bank on that. I wouldn't tell you something that wasn't true. And so, trust in my character when I make this promise to you. Believe in God, he says. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. What is he telling them? He's just telling them, I'm leaving, you can't come with me. They're, they're saddened, they're confused. What is he saying to them? I am going to come back. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm coming back to you. I promise you. I'm going someplace for a season. I will prepare a place for you. I will come back and I'll take you so that you can be with me forever. Now, what do the disciples want? They want what you and I would want in that situation. They want Jesus going anywhere. They like him right there, right? They want to reach out and touch this guy. They love it when he's with them. They're emboldened when they're with Jesus. But Jesus is telling them, it's better for me to go away. Now, they're not believing that, and neither would you or I. We would say, no, no, no. <laughs> Trust me, it's better when you're at the table with us. It's better when we can see you. But Jesus is telling them in our narrative today, and even more so next week, no, it's better if I leave you. That's hard to believe. But he's telling them, it's better if I go away from you for this season. We'll talk more about that as he extrapolates that out for us next week. What's the promise? I'm leaving. You can't come with me. You can't change that. But I am going someplace. I'm preparing a place for you, and I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to take you with me, and you're going to be with me where I am. That's my promise to you. You can trust me because I've never told you anything that wasn't true before. And I wouldn't say this if it were not true. He's inviting us, friends, to go to where he is. He's making a promise to us. Yes, to his disciples in that time and space, but to you and me as well if we placed our hope in Christ. Friends, the way is narrow to Jesus. 
There's no other way to get around that. Jesus has said that plainly in Matthew 7 and certainly alluded to it in multiple other places. It's a very narrow way and the gate is very small and very few who make it through this life will find it. But listen to me here. Many, many people will be there. Many people will be there, friends. Have you considered the billions of people who have lived on this planet? Have you considered the, the possibly billions more who will live before Christ returns to sum things up? Have you considered the hundreds and of millions of people who, who, because of one special need or another, have never been able to reach a place of accountability? Have you considered the, the children from every tribe and every tongue and every nation? Friends, have you considered the multiple millions of human beings who never got to draw one breath of life? Not one. But God knew them and formed them in the womb. Have you considered that? God knew them there. He knew John the Baptist. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. He knew Jesus. He knit them together by the Holy Spirit. Don't think that God has forgotten them. Billions of people will be there with us. And billions will not. By God's grace, so many people have been, I think, gifted with an early death. And for those of us who have been gifted life that has lasted a significant amount of time, we're the ones slugging it out. We're the ones trying to find a narrow path and a small gate. Jesus has illuminated that for us. He's told us in our text for today. Many will be there, friends. Look what John says in his apocalypse in the book of Revelation. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. That's going to be something, isn't it? Because I don't know who those people are. And they felt not people, who those beings are. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Friends, this is a pre-recorded message of your voice and my voice in heaven one day, if you know Christ. That's our voices. That's where we're going to be one day. In time and space, that's where we'll be one day. We'll be saying those things to God because of what Christ has done for us, because he's illuminated a path for us and said, this is the way to know God the Father. And so as God pre uh, prepared the promised land for the people of Israel, we don't have time to go into that, but many of you know that story, right? He sends them to the promised land and tells them time and again, I'm preparing that place for you. And I'm not going to let you just go in and take it over completely because if you do that, you won't be able to cover all the land and the wild animals will take over and it will be chaos. And so you're going to have to take it over piece by piece. I'm preparing this land for you, right? I hate to say it this way, but this is how God says it. Sharpen your swords. 
I'm not just going to push people out of the way. You're going to have to take this land because they will fight for it. They've had it for over 400 years and they've been slaughtering each other during that time and sacrificing to pagan gods. And so I'm telling you, you're going to have to take it, but you're going to take it piece by piece and I'm preparing the land for you. He went before them into the promised land. Even this minor thing that we see is a detail here in the scripture that, that Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead of him to prepare a room in the, they were, we're worshiping right now in our, in our narrative today, right? Peter and John, go ahead of Jesus. Go, prepare a place for us. Where are we going to do, do this feast? Go, there's a room for you. I've already gone ahead of you. Here's everything that will be laid out for you. Go and make ready this room. This is what Jesus is telling them. Like these things happened, this is what I'm doing for you. I'm going ahead of you now, and I will prepare a place for you. Friends, God doesn't ever just send us out, right? He doesn't just give us the boot and say, out the door you go, right? I've trained you a bit, now go out and figure this thing out. He goes with us now in a way that he couldn't do or wouldn't do with even the prophets of old. The Spirit dwells in us. He's living in us. This is why it's better that Jesus goes to the Father, because now he's with us. Earlier, he had to send the disciples out. Remember, you're going out, and I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. I can't be there with you physically. You're going to have to go out there. But that time's over. We don't go out without him. He's with us. He's prepared a way for us. He's preparing a place for us. And he's not sending the disciples out without him anymore. For a short season, he says, I have to go away and you can't come with me. But there's a reason why I have to do those things. Now, the disciples, I think, are understandably confused, and I think they're scared. Doubting Thomas, right? We call him Doubting Thomas. He got stuck with that moniker. He's probably one of the bravest of these 12 guys. But Doubting Thomas now demonstrates his courage again when the other people are saying, other guys are likely saying, well, he said we know the way. I don't know the way, but I'm not about to tell him I don't know the way. It's Thomas who says, actually, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. Right? How could we follow you? Listen to how he's saying this, friends. I know we don't get the tone and the, and the tenor, but look at the words. Thomas isn't saying, I don't really want to go where you're going. I don't know where it's at. I don't want to go. He's saying, I want to go with you. I just don't know how to get there, right? Peter says it earlier. Where, where are you going? Right? You keep saying you're going someplace. I'll die with you. Just tell me where you're going. I'll follow you wherever you're going. I die to follow you. It's not that these guys are cowards, friends. They want to go with Jesus. They're just trying to figure out where in the world he's going. How do we follow you? How do we go where you're going? Please don't say we can't come. We want to come. How do we get there? That's what Thomas is saying. I want to come. How do I get there? Show me the way. I'll follow you, but I just got to know where you're going. And this is where Jesus has this incredible statement, right? I am that way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one's coming to, to the Father unless they're coming through me, guys. I've illuminated this path for you, right? I'm the one who, who speaks all truth. Life and light and immortality dwell in me. 
When you see me, you see the Father. You've been wondering about it, now I'm telling you. You've seen him. You've spoken to him. It's me. You're trying to figure this stuff out. Why? Because Peter and, and, and Thomas and the others, they're trying to figure out where's Jesus going physically tonight? But where Jesus is going physically, he's already told them, you can't come with me. He's telling them how to get to God, how to get to the Father. And they're confused about that. He's saying, I'm the way to, to know God. And you need to know that. And you do know that. When you see me, you see God. And the question that many in our culture and in so many other cultures are asking today and have asked for so many, many years is, but are there other ways, right? Are there other truths? Are there other lives, right? This is Jesus' sixth great I am statement in John's gospel. And notice how crystal clear he is. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. But are there other ways, right? Are there other truths, Jesus? Is there another way for us to find life? But Jesus answers that question too, doesn't he? No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. Now, some people in the world today who claim to be Christians who are universalists will say, yeah, Buddhists get to God through Jesus, they just don't know it. Muslims get to God through Jesus, they just don't know it. Friends, you'll find that nowhere in the Scriptures. Nowhere. Jesus is saying there's one way, and it's through me. He's not telling the disciples, I'm the way. When I'm gone, go figure out your best path. I'll be there in it. You'll find me in your best path, right? Go find something holy, and you'll find me. That is not what he's telling them. The rest of their lives bear that out, friends. We don't, have to, we don't even have to look very far to find that. He's saying, I am the way to the Father. Jesus is the final revelation of God to this world, friends. This is it. This is what we get. We get Jesus Christ telling us these truthful things recorded for us by the work of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. This is what we have. He's revealed himself to us. Look what the writer of Hebrews tells us here in Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, you have to try to mix up that sentence to not say what it's saying. You have to try to mix up this sentence. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than their name. He is God's final revelation of himself to us and to this world. And Jesus is telling us nothing different than that. Nothing different. Thomas says, I don't know where you're going. I mean, I just got to tell you, I don't know where you're going, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you. I'm the way, right? Thomas said, I, I don't know how to get there. Tell me about this way. And Jesus says, this is the way. And he's telling it to you and to me as well, friends. Now notice what Philip does. Philip steps out and he says to Jesus, kind of give us a final proof, right? I've heard everything. 
I just need another proof, right? In fact, I'll just speak for the rest of the disciples. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us, right? Do what you did for Moses, right? When Moses said, show me your glory, and God revealed his glory and spoke his, his name to Moses, right? Wrestle with us like he wrestled with Jacob. Do something, right? Reveal fa- the Father to us, and then we're on board. Then we won't need anything else. We just need you to show us the Father, Now, again, I would just ask you, do your best to step into this narrative and and see how Jesus responds, right? If he were you or me, he'd say, are you kidding me? I mean, really, Philip, what is your major malfunction here? I have been with you for three years. Get on board, right? Jump on the bus or jump off the bus, buddy. That's not what he says. There's a hurt here for Jesus. Philip, I've been with you this long, and you still don't know me. How how can that be? How have you missed it? How, How have you missed that when you're seeing me, you're seeing the Father? How have you missed that when I speak, you're hearing the Father? How have you, how have you missed all this? You're asking me now to show you the Father? That's what I've been doing for three years. That's what I've been doing. Later he'll say, listen, if you, can't, if you can't take my word, then do you know anybody else doing the stuff I've been doing? I mean, look around. Has anybody else been doing what I've been doing? And here he's not just talking about miracles, friends. He's saying, Philip, not only have you seen me raise the dead, and you've seen the Father in that, but do you remember we were walking into a city And there was this lady coming out, and she was weeping because her son, her only son, had died. And do you remember what I did? I went over and I put my hand on the buyer, and I said, don't be afraid. And I prayed. And do you remember what happened? Her son was restored to her. Yes, it was an incredible miracle, but don't miss the father in the fact that I went and I put my hand on that buyer that I cared enough for this, for this widow who was suffering. Do you remember when there was a synagogue ruler who was desperate for me to go home and to heal his daughter? And you remember she died before we could get there. And someone came and said, don't bother the master anymore. Do you remember what I said to him? I said, do not be afraid. Just believe. When I said that, you heard God. That's God. That was the Father revealing himself to you through me, through these works. Yes, I healed her. But don't forget everything that went before that. That's all God. That's what you're seeing when you see me. When I said, little girl, get up, that's God the Father. And when I said, she's hungry, give her something to eat, that's God the Father. That's what you're seeing. I think Jesus is a bit exasperated here. I think he's hurt. I I think it's equivalent to to a 16-year-old saying, gosh, mom and dad, just show me that you love me. And most parents would say, what? I've been doing that every single day of your life. And the 16-year-old says, and if you're 16 here today, I was 16 too, so don't worry about that. And the 16-year-old says, no, but I want you to show me now, right? This is what I want now. Show me that you love me now. 
And we would say, I, I don't know. I may have to just hit you, right? <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I was in an argument with my brother one time in our bedroom. And we were arguing back and forth, as brothers will do. <clears throat> and he finally just threw up his hands and said, I'm going to punch you. <laughs> and that's what he did. And I probably deserved it. My two front teeth are fake. They really are. And there's a story to that. So, so I think Jesus is exasperated here. But he doesn't say, all right, guys, line up. Y'all, I'm going to pop y'all. He doesn't do that, right? And I know that's, that's funny, but he doesn't do that. What does he do? He says, how could you miss this? Right? So let me tell you now, he says, now you've seen the Father. Okay? You're looking at me. You've seen the Father. So you don't have to ask the questions anymore, right? This is who I am. And I'm going to prepare a way for you. And I am the way to the Father. I'm illuminating that, that path for you. Right? So many people in our world today would say, yeah, but are there other ways? And Jesus says, no. And they say, well, then, listen, if you're showing me the path, I want there to be multiple paths, right? I want there to be many roads up this mountain, and I want you to be at the top. But I don't want you saying any of this stuff that I'm the only way. Because if you keep saying that, Jesus, I'm not taking the path. And I think when we say that, friends, let me just be very honest with you here. I think Jesus' answer is, well, you just shut the door to the only path there is, friend. And I'm not the one shutting it. You are. I just now showed you the way. I've illuminated the path for you. And if you're saying, I'll only take it if there's a lot of other paths too, then Jesus is going to disappoint you. Because there aren't multiple ways, friends. There are many gods, so-called gods, in this world, Paul says to the Corinthians. And when you worship them and sacrifice to them, you need to know there's only one true God. And therefore, what you're worshiping and sacrificing to are, what does he say? Demons. You're worshiping demons. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, he says to them. And friends, he means it. He means it. So if we're going to bank on this Jesus, this is the Jesus we need to bank on. You want to make up another one, you're free to do that. I'm here to tell you, he cannot deliver at the end because he doesn't exist. You may meet him, but you won't want to see him at the end. And I'm sorry to be that frank, but I think that's just how clear Jesus is being here in our text today. No one does what Jesus does, friends. I know people say in other countries there's some guy or some gal and they've raised a hundred people from the dead and I'm here to tell you that ain't true. I'm not saying God does not work miraculously today. I believe he does. Ain't nobody doing what Jesus does, friends. He empowered his disciples and they were able to do great works but not like Jesus did them. They were empowered by Christ, to do great works that demonstrated who they were. Just like Jesus says, the signs, they'll show you who I am. But don't go looking for somebody else who's going to do a whole lot of this stuff and think 
that they must have the path because there's nobody doing what Jesus does. Those who genuinely know Jesus, he says, will do these works. They'll do these works. And that reality sticks with John because later on in his life, John will remember these things and he'll remember that Jesus said to follow him means that you are following him and not somebody else and you're walking in his light and you're doing the works that he is doing. Different word he uses here, right? That word works can mean a miracle, but in John's gospel, miracle is a different word. It's a sign miracle and he's using a different word here, friends. And I don't think he's saying, you'll never do a miracle. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, you're going to do these things. You're going to follow after me. To follow after me means you do the things that I do. You live like I live. And John remembers this. And so later on in his life, he'll say, this is the message we've heard from him. And now we're going to declare it to you. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. And if you claim to have fellowship with him, but you walk in the darkness, you lie. And the truth is not in you. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies you from all sin. Right? He's not saying, you better get this down right, and you better do it perfectly. He says, listen to me. Walk in my light. Do these things. Quit lying to yourself and other people, friends. Quit living in the darkness and telling people you're living in the light. It's a lie. we got to stop lying to ourselves and to everybody else. You walk in the light. And when you do that, when you follow him, you realize there is no darkness in this God. Right? There's no bad side to this, to this God. He cares for us. He sent his son to die for us. He illuminated a path for us. He's shown us the way. He's told us how to get there. This is a good God and a gracious God. And he's called us to live in him. And when we do that, friends, and in that process of walking in the light, we do deeds of darkness, he's there to forgive us for that. That's what he does. He is is just in doing that. John tells us later on in that text. He's not just willing to do it. He can do it because he died for those sins, friends. He's the only one who can take them away from you. There's nobody else who's ever lived that can do that because they didn't die for your sins. Jesus did that. So he's faithful to do that, and he's just to do that. And he's called us to walk in the light and to quit pretending that we're those who walk in the light. This is what he's telling his disciples. Buck up and be courageous, guys. You're asking me where I'm going, and I'm telling you where I'm going. And I'm telling you I'm preparing a way for you. Now I'm saying to you, ask from me, and I will give to you. Right? Be emboldened. Be courageous. Go out there and do what I've called you to do. And ask. And ask in my name. Friends, he's not saying tag every prayer with in Jesus' name. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the way the church has been doing it for a long, long time. Nothing wrong with that. It's our way of saying we want this to be in accordance with the will of God. But that's not a talisman, right? It's not a magic wand. It doesn't mean whatever you just now said and you said in Jesus' name, you get it. James has told us about that, right, in his letter, right? 
Why do you fight and quarrel amongst yourselves? Why do you keep doing that? It's because you want something and you can't have it. And then when you ask for it and you get it, you spend it on your pleasures. That's why you're not getting these things. Jesus is saying, ask it in my name. And what do I do? He says, you've never heard a word from me that didn't come from the Father. You've never seen me do one thing that wasn't part of the Father's will. You ask in my name, what you're saying is, let it be according to your will, God. Let my will align with your will. Friends, if it's in the will of God, he will give it to you. Ask him. We are to be those who ask. We are to be those who receive. But my goodness, we have to stop playing games with God. I wanted it and you didn't give it, so I've been hurt, so I'm, I'm leaving the church. Well, leave the church. Leave the vessel that God has given us to usher us into glory. Because that's what you're doing. And I'm not just talking about Life Point. You can go someplace else. There's other good churches out there. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ, friends. Leave it and leave the vessel by which God has given us to travel to where He is. Ask. Receive. Know who we're asking from. Walk in the light. Know forgiveness in Christ. Jesus is strengthening his disciples this night. Yes, he's exasperated with them, but my goodness, he loves them. And he's telling them how to get to where he is going. And he's telling us how to get there too, friends. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And once you've found it, then we do everything we can to align ourselves with the will of God. And we be people who, well, that sounded pretty fancy, didn't it? We are people who ask and receive from our Heavenly Father. Friends, press into Jesus Christ. Press into Him. Be encouraged today. Be courageous today. Stand for Christ. Live for Jesus Christ and know His blessing. Amen? God, I pray that you would help us to be those people today. Those people. The kind of people like the 11, not the kind of person like the 12, not like Judas, but like the 11, who even though they didn't completely understand, were right there with you, Lord God. I pray that we would be those people. Help us to be those people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.